Welcome back to episode 29 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen a series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I give my overall opinion on a series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Chivalry of a Failed Knight. Released in 2015 by studio Silverlink and Nexus, it has 12 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched the series in sub, I did not care for English voice actress Lucy Christian's portrayal of Stella. If you follow along with the reviews, you know I let the next show I watch be picked out by the gods of fate. So Chivalry of a Failed Knight being watched immediately after the Asterix War was completely random. The reason I bring this up is the plot of these two anime are identical and they were released in the same year. A magical swordsman attending an academy accidentally walks in on a pink-haired princess while she's changing her clothes. The princess infuriated challenges the boy to a duel to atone for their transgressions. The princess who has fire abilities will gain respect for the boy during their battle. Eventually calming down, the two will begin to train together in order to compete in a fighting tournament to achieve their goals. The setup of both these shows could not have been any closer and the fact I watched one right after the other is wild. Iki is a blazer, a being that can manifest magical weapons and powers. Blazers who are acknowledged by the international organization are given the title of magical knights. It is Iki's dream to become a magical knight. The problem is blazers are ranked on an alphabetical system. Iki not having extreme power has been classed in the lowest tier F. Iki still believes through vigorous training and hard practice he can become worthy of holding the title of magic knight. The director of the academy that houses Blazers has done everything in her power to help Iki, but the only way he will be allowed to graduate and reach his goals is to win the 7 star battle festival. Iki will face powerful opponent after powerful opponent needing to go undefeated to progress to the next stage. Iki's luck is as bad as his natural talent, his first match is against Kirihara, who represented the school the previous year. Iki gets a beating but keeps pushing forward. Kirihara fights like a coward, but he tore Iki up in that fight. Iki is a devilishly handsome young man. Lean and cut, his training has been paying off. The school uniforms in this series are fire looking, classic black and white that Iki pulls off like a boss. He fights using a sword and I love the black jagged markings on the blade, it made it look serrated at certain points. But what I loved more than anything was Iki materializing his sword as he pulls it out from an imaginary sheath on his hip. Who didn't do that as a kid while they were playing? One thing I didn't like about his sword is the guard is square. There are so many better designs I would have chosen over that. Iki's motivation is regardless the hand life has dealt you, he believes a person can achieve what they desire through hard work. Most people give up on their goals before they even try to attain them. Where you start is where you will inevitably finish is a broken mindset. Iki was born the weakest into a family that values talent and gifted strength. Due to this, he was ostracized by his father to the point where he wasn't invited to family gatherings and was hidden away when company was present. This fueled Iki to invest in himself. He wants to become powerful like his grandfather. Then Iki turns into a sucker. This entire time I thought he was improving himself for himself. But when he breaks down attributing all his growth to wanting to be noticed and acknowledged by his trash bag father, was just so sad. Iki's father believes like Kizune's mother from Hybrid Heart, there is no point to sharpening a skill with no talent behind it. He believes it's better to do nothing and be nothing rather than work your way to mediocrity, which he feels is Iki's limit. 
We see Iki's family has actively tried to hinder him becoming successful, not wanting a failure to do well by graduating the academy. What I don't understand is why not let Iki flourish, that way you can boast even your least talented member is still capable of becoming a magic knight. You're only as strong as your weakest link, so why not have Iki go on to accomplish great things? It only makes the family look better. Then we have Stella. Stella is the second princess to her kingdom and recognized as a powerful top tier blazer. She has been given the title of A rank. Stella is accepted to the academy and due to the rankings becomes Iki's roommate. After an embarrassing introduction for Stella and the best one ever for Iki, we see just how savage Stella can be. Her three rules for Iki to abide by in order to become her roommate were great. Stella is a gorgeous beauty, drop dead sexy smoke show. There's no other way to describe her. For the majority of the season I didn't understand what the two silk strands coming off the back of her uniform were until I saw some of the other girls, they're meant to be tied as a bow in the back but Stella just lets hers hang out. Stella has a wide array of fire-based powers, but using them to become bulletproof was a surprise. I really like that. Stella's drive is to become a powerful magical knight for her country. She's taken it upon herself to harness her abilities. Stella has a chip on her shoulder. Even though she is talented, it doesn't mean she didn't put in hard work to hone those gifts. Stella's come to the academy because in her country she was surrounded by yes-men. Everyone revered her as a genius, so she felt stagnant like she wasn't growing or learning more. It takes a wise person to recognize their surroundings maybe holding them back and capping their potential. I will say, aside from battling Iki, we don't see Stella fight at all. Her matches would show her flick her flaming sword as it was already over. As for a relationship, couples years down the line will tell their children how they first met. For Iki and Stella, that will be one hell of a conversation. Now, Iki is walking into his home, but seeing a pair of unfamiliar boots at the door did not cause him any concern. He still just casually walked in. If I saw random shoes in my doorway, I'd be grabbing the closest thing that can be used as a weapon. Now Stella, 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 it's not Saturday and the girls are not going out for a night on the town. It's a school night and she got on the matching black bra and panty set looking so fine. As we will come to see, all of Stella's undergarments are extravagant. Now, Iki kept a cool head. I was like, wow, this show isn't going to go down the typical girl screams, slaps the boy. We cut away to a glowing handprint across the face with him saying, how many times do I have to apologize? It was an accident. But no, we do still get that. But not before Iki in his infinite wisdom thinks the best idea in this situation is to strip down himself to make them even. I freaking died. Then Stella's first compromise is Iki take his own life. And Iki is a smooth operator. He stops her from burning him alive by hitting her with a compliment. Stella settles on taking him out herself in a duel. Stella makes the ultimate mistake that most stubborn characters will learn from at one point or another. She underestimated her opponent. All she knows of Iki is he is a failed knight, so she just assumes that he will be easily defeated. So foolishly, she puts on conditions that the loser of the duel must become the winner's servant for life. Rewatching this series, I see Iki was laying down game early on. Always surprising Stella like when he acknowledged the hard work she put into her sword technique. When Iki understands and starts copying Stella's moves and the flashes of him becoming her was a nice creative choice to visually show that's what was happening. This first battle let me know like Dragon Ball Z's power levels, knight rankings are bullshit. Stella is an A rank, didn't even land a blow on Iki the F ranked. I'm actually surprised more people didn't label her a hype train after this duel. We hear one person mention her losing to Iki during her first battle, but that was it. 
Iki being the gentleman he is, he didn't abuse the power of being Stella's master, he simply requested they be roommates. Funny Stella calls Iki the pervert when she gropes him while he's sleeping. You reverse the roles, Iki's in prison. Then Stella eventually just starts throwing it at Iki, coming into the bath to wash him in a bikini. She made my man's toes curl. Now what made this series stand out from all the others to me is Iki knows how to read the room. He sees how much of a baddie Stella is and locks her down right away. Episode 4. Hey Stella, I like you. No stuttering, no embarrassment, no 37 episodes to discover his feelings. He just goes for it and she returns his feelings. She doesn't say no when she wants to say yes. They get together early on. The greatness does not stop there. The next episode we see them dealing with real relationship issues at that age. It's hard to communicate face to face when you're that young out of fear of saying something wrong. Iki wants to be respectful and do the gentlemanly thing, but to Stella it comes off as if he's uninterested in her. Then they actually do the mature thing with some help from friends. They sit down and talk about it under the water umbrella. Once again, any other show, Stella would have taken what Iki said the wrong way, broken it off, and stormed away. It would have been several more episodes before they talk it out and try again. Not this series, Iki clarifies he has no intention of ending the relationship. They both express their feelings, come to an understanding, and kiss. The kiss was done wonderfully, by the way. We see the silhouette through the rainbow colors. It was really nice. I will say, my first time watching this series while they're mid-argument, I had to re-watch it three times. The subtitles were moving so fast I could not keep up. Viewing it now a second time, I was able to keep up, but it does go fast at certain points. Just as they begun to find their stride while on the bus, both of their phones went off at once, I thought for sure they were going to be scheduled to fight each other. Luckily, that doesn't happen. Then on their trip together, Iki's such a gentleman, offers Stella his coat when she's cold. But maybe he only did that because Iki is always in a rush to take his clothes off in front of Stella, like we'll see in the cabin. I really appreciated Iki not taking advantage of Stella in her fever state, even after popping wood. A weaker man would have jumped at the chance to study the naughty arts of the bedroom with a stunner like Stella. Iki wanting them to be announced properly to the world first is adorable. Iki's just such a sweetheart. Now something I never understood is how is it justified for Iki to be taken prisoner for dating someone? What does it matter if she's a princess? How is that an ethics committee issue? Iki is handcuffed, put on trial, and imprisoned for having a girlfriend. I just don't understand how this is legal. Regardless of their tampering, Iki achieves his goal and truly discards his relatives, proposing to Stella to start their own family. During this scene when Stella's hair is blowing in the wind, it looked exactly like the great fairy mask in Majora's Mask. Breaks my heart, but this series has a young lady with a huge brother complex. The show even makes it a point to say these two are full-on, same-parents blood-related. Iki's younger sister, Shizuku, is the only one in the family who was not horrible to him. She has taken on the role of showing Iki he is loved. Unfortunately, she is misguided in her approach. She has just joined the academy and makes a grand entrance. Just the hint of brother-sister loving creeps me out, but Shizuku straight-up kisses Iki. If that wasn't bad enough, she does it in front of a crowd at school, and the newspaper club snaps photos of it. Stella and Shizuku's jealousy towards one another is funny. Shizuku causes Stella to announce she is Iki's servant. When Iki sees into Stella's fantasy asking who the cool looking guy is, I roared. As entertaining as Stella and Shizuku's insults back and forth were, I did enjoy them working together to save the hostages at the mall. I don't know which is better, Shizuku's water dome shield or Stella's lingerie. And I'm joking, I know exactly which one was better. 
This fight had one of my favorite sequences in it when Iki jumps in the air as a bullet grazes his face and then he wall runs across the glass railing, jumping down to slice off the evil Blazer's arm. You can't get more badass than this. And a question to everyone out there, if Blazers existed in your world, would you even try to be a criminal if you were just a regular human? Their father is proud of Shizuku's progress in the battle festival. But how's it feel, Dad? Iki be someone in one swing when Shizuku couldn't. But I will say, Shizuku's fight against Toka was where I really began to have some respect for her. I get weirded out by sibling stuff, so I really paid her no mind. But this fight was great. The water, ice, lightning effects were fantastic. When fights start putting speed on them, you usually see a loss in quality. Things are moving so quickly, why put effort into every little detail? But this series did it anyway. There was no slumps during this fight. No scene was noticeable to me where the colors or the lines got distorted to where you couldn't make heads or tails of what was going on. And just when I thought Shizuku was finished, it was a water clone. Like, my god, go watch this fight. It is so amazing. Then we have Alice, who is Shizuku's roommate. I have to say, the characters in this series bond quickly. We see Iki and Stella develop an understanding early on. Then Shizuku explains her entire family dynamic to Alice upon their first meeting. Alice is awesome, I really like the old school proper fashion. And Alice is a badass. Detecting the men taking over the mall before they even got to the bathroom was awesome. Then portaled Iki to safety. Alice's dagger looks so freaking cool, and it has the power to control shadows. Alice pinning Iki down, not allowing him to save the girls at first, I was like, what is this idiot doing? Then as Alice explains, these girls are not damsels in distress, they're amazing fighters in their own right. They can handle business. Alice can supposedly brawl as well, going undefeated, winning a spot to represent the school. Yet like Stella, we never get to see Alice in action. Then we have Ayaze. She's been stalking Iki, trying to muster the courage to ask him to instruct her in furthering her skills as a swordswoman. Ayaze's father is a famous swordsman who Iki idolized growing up, so meeting her is special to him. Whenever I see Chivalry of a Failed Knight mentioned online, it's always tagged under Echi, I was always confused as I never remembered it in that way. Sure, there are some lingerie shots, but I wouldn't constitute that as etchy. Rewatching it now, I'm reminded of all the scenes like Iki correcting Aize's stance and how it was so hot and heavy for all the girls present. But big red flag, Iki, you have big rugged hands. It reminds me of my father's I like that. Taking into consideration where he was touching her. Now I was all for Iki being the bigger man, I mean staying chill after someone breaks a bottle over your head causing you to bleed, my hat's off to you for keeping that composure, but after the spit in the face, I would have let Stella burn that entire restaurant to ash. Iki does of course get his revenge, the fight in the broken down dojo was awesome. Iki has some balls the way he dropped all the lower goons identification wallets on the floor, that was tough. I love Sword Eater's blade, he's pretty much fighting with a spinal cord, giving it that half blade half whip feel. Iki turned out to be a poor judge of character, believing Aize would not resort to dirty tactics. You will find during these reviews I am not a forgiving person, the fact she forced Iki to lose his best ability, then still got wrecked by him, served her right. She even cheated by setting traps in the arena beforehand and still loses. Iki being the gem he is doesn't expose her for cheating and still went to get her father's dojo back from Sword Eater. The next character is Toka. They had Toka's introduction be so over the top. Her destroying the rock golems was awesome, but her stance when it was all over looked so cheesy. Her color scheme, thunder powers, and ability to use her blade so quickly, we the audience don't see it completely removed from the sheath, 
reminds me of a certain Demon Slayer, even though I know Toka came first. Toka has ideals similar to Iki. She wants to instill the message of regardless of your situation, you can succeed to the use that she frequently visits. Where Chivalry of a Failed Knight shined, where I felt the Asterix War failed? Getting to the finals, the show either had an opponent surrender right away, or it would show us the tail end of the battle. Which worked great for me because these fights had no meaning. The Academy has the students in over 10 battles. If we had to sit through all of those for Iki, Stella, throw a few in there for Shizuku, the series would have dragged on forever. During Iki's imprisonment, we get flashes of his matches, all leading to the grand finale against Toka. The animation and visuals in this series are some of the best I've ever seen. Episode 11 is in a class of its own. The final battle is an old school samurai showdown. One strike, no wasted movement, speed, power, accuracy, all in one blow. This series takes one sword swing and turns it into a beautiful art piece. I went to my old pal Kaylee Kale who dabbles in art to get him to explain to me what technique this is called. He told me to look into grayscale, and from there, the closest thing I can attribute it to is selective color. Iki's reds and Toka's yellow shine through so much in this final exchange. The charge of the Toka lightning and the viewing of individual blood cells leaking from the cuts all over Iki's beaten down body, I cannot put into words how brilliant this was. If you pay attention to the crowd during Iki and Stella's duel, you will see Toka. I'm sure she was there to scout Stella, but she got to take notes on Iki. Toka had been well aware of his ability early on. She also points out how rough Iki looked coming into the fight as his conditions leading up to it were less than ideal. All this made Iki defeating her even more epic. Now we're going to get into some nitpicks. Stella while having her sexual awakening on top of Iki smashes the back of her head on the roof of the bunk bed. Yet when Iki is patching her up he puts a bandage on her forehead. The teacher Yuri, I felt so awful for her, every time she would puke blood it just made my skin crawl. The shadows under her eyes, I'm with Stella, it was exhausting to look at. Why did Stella feel the need to take a shower after her first battle? She literally scared her opponent into submission, she didn't even move. Iki's wounds and blood loss from his battle against Kirihara would have killed him, just saying. The opening song Mikio Sakai Identity, I hated it. I just don't like his voice. They should have gone with something way harder for the opening. When the last samurai is dueling the sword eater, during his final attack he let out this scream that took me off guard and I laughed. Then he gets beat and goes face down ass up. This was supposed to be a serious moment but I was laughing. And this final point is the reason I have a nitpick section, it's just for the smallest dumbest things that I notice. While Stella and Iki are in the cabin and she tells him she is happy by the fact he's excited by her. There's a side shot of them with a fire that holds for 11 seconds. No one moves or speaks. Maybe it was meant to build tension, but I was just sitting there like, did my screen freeze? What is happening? Then we get to best girl waifu and harem. Best girl is Stella. There wasn't even competition. She's gorgeous. She's the perfect match for Iki. She always cheered for Iki, always got him through the tough moments in his matches. And she just loves him for who he is. Stella is a god-tier waifu. She's up there with Reen and Saber from the Fate series. And of course, Stella is always welcome in my harem. Alright, now we have final thoughts. If you listen to my review of Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, you know it only has one competitor as my favorite anime of all time. Chivalry of a Failed Knight is that other series. Rewatching this series for the review was such a treat. 
I loved it just as much the second time around. You have a lovable underdog protagonist, one of the best couples in anime, some gorgeous fight scene animations, and different art techniques that make this series so special. How this series does not have a second season is far beyond me, there is so much story that could still be explored. Of course, I would recommend that you watch Chivalry of a Failed Knight. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.